The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello everyone, you are listening to The Cambridge Film Show. I'm Ashley Whitaker. I have just swanned off a plane from holiday, so I've done no homework and I'm relying more than ever before on my excellent team of reviewers to tell us what's been going on at the cinema and on your streaming device of choice. For the last week or two, we have Emma... Hi there. Henry. Hello. And Vicky. Hello. We have another bumper show. We've been running away with ourselves um, recently. Um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 and Past Lives and A Haunting in Venice are our big cinema releases. And then we've got the slightly more indie El Conde off on Netflix. They're terrifying looking The Nun 2. I can't believe they're making me watch another one because that scared the hell out of me several years ago. Sitting in bars with cake and the oddly excellent paint for which Emma has suggested what I hope is a safer radio song to play us out with at the end of the show because she remembers the 70s. Now, (laughs) (laughs) let's get started with what is shockingly the third return to this family, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. We're going to Greece. Oh, yeah. A lot has happened since my big fat Greek wedding. Like I never left. My father passed away, and his last wish was for us to visit his childhood village and reconnect with our roots. So we're having a reunion. We're going to Greece. Oh yeah. One, two, three, four. And by we, I mean the whole family. Who wants souvlaki? Paging Sulaki. Anybody by the name of Sulaki on this flight? So, Henry, our apologies for sending you to go and see this. You don't seem massively thrilled about it. Listen, the first one was very cute and it kind of took cinema by storm in a similar way to Mamma Mia did. Um, because isn't it Nia Vardalos wrote and directed this one? I think she wrote, at least wrote the original one. And it was a really sweet kind of different type of love story ever so slightly older couple getting together with a, a less hollywood glitzy blonde family trailing behind them where has it all gone wrong though because you did not rate this no i mean it is it's, it's probably fair to warn people i haven't seen either of the first two films <laughs> i this came up on our slate as hey you know not we're doing this wheelhouse. this week i thought well you know i'll give it a go and at least we can then say does it work as a standalone thing and i think it's fair to say it doesn't um oh. It's kind of, at its best, it works as a kind of, like, pseudo, like, Mamma Mia, Shirley Valentine call for, like, the middle age to go to Greece and have, like, a a lovely holiday where they maybe kind of forget about their husbands for a few days. But then the rest of it is, is, yeah, it's this weird kind of quest where um, the Tula's father died, presumably between the last film and this one. Um, And so she's gone to Greece to to honour his memory and to kind of go back in his footsteps and for a second I really did think we were going to go for the Mamma Mia Here We Go Again kind of structure of like oh and we're going to we're going to see the father's past and all of that nope we're going to helicopter share in yeah exactly that would all be very expensive so we haven't done any of that uh, instead it is just uh, this cast of characters uh, who are very happy to just have been put in holiday for Greece uh, for a month um, just kind of hanging out doing things making vague jokes about like there we're Greek there <laughs> Which works slightly less well when they're actually among Greek people. I imagine there's that kind of culture clash fun in like the first one, maybe two films. But yeah, Greek Americans among Greeks, the kind of thing is just like, oh, we're Greek. Yeah, we know. 
So there's no big set piece we're working towards, like a wedding or a funeral. It's just a holiday. Oh, well, I couldn't possibly give anything away, but there are a few twists and turns along the way. A few, a few handsome strangers who may turn out to be not quite as they seem, and uh, we may be building towards a, a happy ending for more than one or two characters. Oh, as one of them, and sinks Joey Fatone, who is back for his third go round. Uh, Do you even know who that is? I uh, saw left his left on your screen. <laughs> <laughs> I saw his name in the credits, and I went, "That sounds familiar." Uh, he pops up. Uh, I think his first scene is in the alley of like some Greek diner, and then he spends the rest of the film on a boat. Uh, so, yeah. He's well, in it. <laughs> this has got a cinema release, even though from how you're describing it, it feels a bit wet Sunday afternoon streamer film. They obviously got the money for a cinema release for a female written and directed film, which is hard to do at the best of times. Do you think they're going to go for a fourth round or are we done now? I don't know. I mean, I was going to say I don't know where you could take it with a fourth one, but that's never stopped franchises before. You know, maybe this one, maybe four is going to be Mission to Moscow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Someone it, marries a Russian. Exactly. Like, as you say, it isn't... It, it feels out of place in the cinema. It feels very uncinematic. And even the, the crowd who I saw it with uh, was, like, a much older crowd. And they kind of seemed to, like, gently enjoy it. But again, I can't imagine that, you know, a week on, any of them actually really remember much about the film. I was doing some Googling. And yes, this is the first time Nia v- v- Vidalos has directed. She oh, wrote she the first two, Albert, and, and she directed some, what looks like an awfully slight film in 2009 but obviously somehow this was her dream maybe to okay. direct this how well is it directed uh, it, uh it's all in focus <laughs> <laughs> well done film, the film moves <laughs> well so i take it you don't even you're saying people older than you in the cinema didn't look to be having a good time it's a 12a i can't imagine many teenagers would find this funny or engaging no not really it's i mean it is it's unoffensive. Like, it's not a film that I can kind of get upset about or annoyed about. And, you know, My Big Fat Greek Wedding has this really interesting legacy at the cinema where it's one of those films that kind of... Made a ton of money. Made a ton of money on, like, a teeny tiny budget. is like a genuine, like, independent success story. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting footnote as that. And now it's just one of those franchises where it's like, ah, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, A. Scream is the only one that can get away with that. The world's exactly. greatest franchise. Well... Probably steer clear of my big fat Greek wedding then. We've got plenty of other films to be ripping through this week. Let's see if any of those take your fancy instead. Um, we're moving on now to a South Korean love story with past lives. Word in Korean, inyon. It means providence or fate. Do you believe in that? That's just something Koreans say to seduce someone. So a slight trailer, because this is a South Korean film, dubbed in English there at the beginning, so not much more to show you hourly. It's not a visual medium, is it, Emma? But why don't you tell us what Past Lives is about? Well, it's South Korean-American, to be fair, so probably the dubbing at the beginning is actually... It, 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 it's written in South Korea... In, sorry, South Korean, in Korean and, and English. So this is a story of Nora and Sung, and they grow up together to about the age of 12 in Seoul, and they are not exactly like childhood sweethearts, but they have a real connection as school friends. And then when they are about 12, Nora's family immigrate, first of all, to Canada, 
and then so they 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 leave each other they leave this kind of burgeoning special friendship but it's it, it so they, she she goes to Canada to Toronto first it then time jumps 12 years where she and Haesung sort of connect again over the beginnings of Skype so it's at the very beginning sort of early Facebook and Skype because this would be around 2000 Facebook and used to be cool kids yeah <laughs> this would be around 2011 so they're, they're, they're yeah when I heard the Skype sound tone in that it really took Aww. me back but they realize after this sort of year of communicating online and that the, the, this connection hasn't left them but they also are in very different places you know Nora is now in the states um Aesung is still in Seoul and they have no plans to sort of come together. So then time jumps another 12 years and this is when Aesung actually makes it to America to see Nora but things have changed for her and there is a third party in, and it's it's as simple as that. It's about lost love, it's about current love, it's about the past, it's about the present and the future. It It's the most delicately gorgeous film but I, I i gave you a bit a bit of a synopsis there but i really want to hand over to vicky because i think vicky's already seen this twice <laughs> are you obsessed vicky it's 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 quite honestly my film of the year oh, and wow. i think i knew i didn't like the expectation that i went in with it because everyone has seen it across the festival circuit you know it was hyped up but there's always that one film that i know may emotionally change me for the better or worse per year and you know last year it was worst person in the world and this year that it's past nice. lives and it quite honestly um it's not exactly heartbreak but more just a astounding heartache that you leave with because there's no there's no decisions made it's all done through you know mannerisms eye contact incredible communication between all three of them um Nora Haesong and the husband Arthur who is honestly one of the most sweetest kind of adaptations of men I've seen on screen in so long that you don't want what you would normally want to happen you want to honestly whatever happens in this film is the right decision that's made but you feel awful because of it you leave with this sense of guilt and and this um just the heart wrenching uh out to a no sharon van etten soundtrack that just kind of haunted me all the way throughout my journey home so i had to see it again and go through that again (laughs) so it's a lot more than a kind of rubbishy rom-com it's Mm. a proper grown-up film so Celine Song wrote and directed this and they don't look to have done much more before now is it their handiwork of writing and directing that she, makes that happen well she's a playwright I believe and she's, so she's been quite she was quite successful playwright, but this is her directorial debut and my goodness what a debut I would mm. I, you know I mean from from this I would I, I would be very excited to see what she comes up with next um, she said it's semi-autobiographical I believe can I just mm. say by the way it, it starts off I'll hand over to Henry in a minute but it starts off with this amazing scene where you have you, you have our three main characters sitting in a bar in the present day and you have a sort of off-camera voices sort of playing that game that this is what's so good that, that in rom-coms often the the, the, the the main couple will play this game where they're guessing how these people are connected but in this case you've got these off-screen people trying to guess how these three characters are connecting you know an American guy a Korean guy and a Korean woman and they're trying to work out and it's just and then it takes you back and you find out what the connection is. It, it, it's so delicate almost as to be ephemeral in some parts but mm. it's done with such heart and so it's and and the acting in this is is spectacular and so all kudos i think to Celine song because the performances she gets out of these three actors are so nat- naturalistic and so it yeah it, it's amazing 
I am already sold. But Henry, this is showing all three Cambridge cinemas, so both both multiplexes and the Arts Picture House, which is, I think, unusual even for a city like ours, um, for a, a film set not completely in America without massive film stars. It's, it's especially unusual for maybe The View. So do you think it's the reputation off the back of the um, film festival circuit that is pushing it into all the cinemas? Oh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's something to be said that kind of people are warming up to like subtitled films and I think the fact that this is a kind of a hybrid where like a lot of it takes place in America so it kind of feels familiar to people who watch a lot of films but then also the kind of it's got uh, Korean language throughout and even you know some other scenes are kind of in American when they're not in America I think it's very kind of welcoming to audiences like that um I think that yeah the reputation from festivals is interesting Vicky kind of mentioned it that she was worried about that I think that's what I've fallen into with this I think this film is great. Other people love it. And that's kind of my my issue. Like it quite early on uh, both like explicitly and implicitly references some of like my very favorite films. It kind of sets itself quite a high bar. But the problem is that then those films were in the back of my head the whole way. I was thinking about Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Mm. I was thinking about Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. And with those kind of sitting in my head there wasn't enough rooms for past lives to kind of fully blossom but with that said i i still think it is great i think that yeah whichever of the free cinemas is your your cinema like go and check it out there it is yeah gentle and kind of really devastating and the the cinematography and the score are incredible in that they don't really guide you as an audience member towards kind of oh well this is how you're meant to feel about this this is how you're meant to feel about that they give you the space to kind of come to your own conclusions and this film then becomes like a Rorschach test for the audience where everyone's going to take away a slightly different thing from the exact same film. I have um, obviously been in the cinema, I've heard completely different reactions from people coming out where people think not a lot happens because it's like, like Henry and Emma's mentioned, it's like an ephemeral kind of thing, you know, we read into a lot of it and people sometimes don't want to do that and as in that's not what they go to enjoy from a film and they've come out with completely different experiences but just referencing the films like, you know, Eternal Sunshine and, and Before Sunrise, they... She, Celine Song has done something which is with her like incredible captured incredible cinematography in two cities which makes the longing uh, really more present um, you've got incredible settings of New York you really become settled in with Nora you know why she doesn't want to go back to Seoul but at the same time you see their childhood you see Hei Song's life and he is very Korean and as she mentions it's something that she's longing like she's missed um, but she can't go back to and I think um making the cities as present in this is a real, makes the romantic tryst just so much more difficult. Well, you threw in Lost, um, Worst Person in the World and where also was a real character yeah. in that. I did think that both New York and Seoul are characters in this as well. And I, I didn't think so much about before. I, I'm not a huge fan, actually, of Before Sunrise. I don't <laughs> mind Before, but Before Midnight's my favourite. And actually, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind really don't so that didn't worry me <laughs> but I did sit and I think this would make a really lovely companion piece to Binar Minari which was one of my favourite mm. films that came out oh, I'm being a little bit obvious obviously because it's Korean American films again but it, this does give you it's also a look at the immigrant experience and I think it's a really it's a different one from, mm. from a lot of other ways it's a you know they they, 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 they have this amazing scene where she takes Sung to the Statue of Liberty they go to the Statue of Liberty together on the boat and you see that and then she comes back and sees her husband Arthur and he's like you know we've never been and she's like what what do you 
mean we've never been? Because it obviously feels like it's been such a presence in her life. It's just, mm. it, it, and to see, I don't know any of these actors. I don't know Greta Lee, I don't know Toyu, I don't know John Magaro from anything. And all three of them work so incredibly well together. Like Vicky said, you, you, it could have gone any which way and you probably would have been happy with which Or not happy exactly. You would have been equally happy and equally devastated whichever way it had gone. It's a very, very clever film. Oh, I'm definitely going to go see it. It seems like you've mentioned that it's a three kind of a three hander, mm. and it's you love everyone equally. But it sounds when you're talking about the immigrant experience, is this really Nora's story and her sense of place and belonging is told through these two different men, or is it really the three of them? I'd say it's mostly Nora's story. It's I right. think yes. yeah, it's, it's, it's her story yeah. to be told. You know, it, they're both focused on her so fully throughout this that without her as the main companion piece, I don't think it could have really worked. And the performance that Greta Lee has given, um, you know, pulled out by Celine Song, is just genuinely incredible. And the the game that Emma was mentioning, there's a part where Greta Lee breaks, you know, the camera rule, and she looks straight at you, directly at you, and you enter the film that way. And it's just like she's like, "This is my story to be told," and it. A gen- it's, it gives me like chills thinking about that heart, like that eye lock that because you have she, with her. She does have the most inscrutable. It's hard for you to even know what her feelings are about mm. which of these lives or which of these men or which, 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 you know is she going to head to her future or head back to her. But it's just, it's gorgeous. And that's I mean I, I don't use that word lightly actually. For mm. it's just a go- it's a gorgeous film. And I don't, I don't mean that's necessarily the best film I've ever seen ever seen. Although it's one of the best ones I've seen this year. It's mm. just gorgeous. Excellent. And it's only an hour and 40-ish runtime. so if you're worried about sitting through parts of it in subtitles and it being an unusual setting for you, does it kind of zip through and it's not tricky it, in that way? I was fearful it wasn't going to be that accessible because I don't obviously see as much, um, I don't see as many films as Vicky and Henry, I wouldn't say, and I, and I certainly am not aware of, of festival darlings as quickly as other people are because I'm a bit more kind of a standard, standard cinema guy, so I was concerned about the accessibility. It's so accessible. Excellent. So everyone should give it a go. Past Lives is on at all of the local Cambridge cinemas. That's Certificate 12A as well. Moving on from the sublime, I suppose we better give Kenneth Branagh's new one a look in. He's done the haunting in Venice. Hercule Poirot, I've found something. I've looked at it from every which way. I am the smartest person I ever met and I can't figure it out, so I came to the second. You are up to something, my friend. I've seen a million of these so-called psychics, each one a fake. I do not believe in psychics. Come with me to a seance. Spot the con I can't. Detective, you are here to discredit me, but I can talk to the dead. I'd give all I have to hear my daughter's voice. If someone wants to be heard, we are here. Listening. So, Kenneth Branagh's back, my least favourite actor-director of all time. I don't know why, I've just taken a ginnum. Um, And he's having another crack at an Agatha Christie classic. This time it's A Haunting in Venice. Vicky, for those of us who aren't um, familiar with the original story, what's going on here? Uh, funny you should come to me about that because I have read Halloween Party in which this film is based and yet I do not remember a single thing um, <laughs> I do believe uh, Halloween Party is not her most most notable works I think it's towards the end of Perot's uh, literary you know career as a character And um, but I do remember it wasn't set in Venice so when someone told me <laughs> that it was based upon Halloween Party I was quite shocked um, but apart from it was set in an old English town I think um, 
the plot did come back to me halfway through the film and I did uh, realise what was happening as in yeah it all <laughs> happened very quickly um, but I honestly compared to uh, what I went through with you know Murder on the Orient Express and A Death in the Nile which I turned off swiftly after 20 minutes um, <laughs> this was genuinely a very thrilling um, cinema experience oh, <laughs> I quite literally turned to Emma in the cinema last night and I went this is very good <laughs> and with much which much shocked. you know yeah with the shocked awe about me I had a great time I thought you know I'm here for the spooky season beginning and the setting of this is very wonderful you know you've got the small children and you know Halloween three masks you've got <laughs> um, and then running around in an abandoned ghostly plaza, plaza, and it's just wonderfully set. And it's Branna for you, Ash. Honestly, <laughs> it really is. You know, you've got having watched the Nun two earlier this week. I got a second thrill. I had, you know, I had a few jump scares. I almost knocked over my drink. I, it was. I did jump in my in my seat. This is true. I gasped. Oh, I'm gonna have yeah. to give Kenneth Branagh and money. Even though, even though the cast is normally star studded, as it always is, this particular cast worked very well together. Mm. I adore Kelly Riley. I I've become a fan of Tina Fey. Um, after seeing Only Murders in the Building recently, you know, you have Michelle Yeoh, the current, you know, the cinematic darling that Oscar she is, worthy. and she's come back, and it's just everyone is quite good in all of this. Quite, <laughs> quite good. They all quite good. good. They fulfill their part. There's a seance, there's jumps, and I, until I remembered the plot, I was genuinely confused as to who it could be, and I think that's what people want out of this experience and there's who the whole point isn't it? it's the whole it's the whole point there's who done it that do it well you know you have you know knives out and knives out too and then there's ones that maybe fall a bit flat which maybe was uh see how they run last year but this did everything for me this is what i came in i got what i expected and i really had a good time so i'm going to <laughs> pass this on to others that may not have <laughs> so have you have both of you read the original as well no, or no? No. no. Oh, no. okay. I was going to ask you why they've moved it to Venice, just because it's a little sexier. But I did in... Um, so I quite enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express. Mm. I'm sorry, everybody. But it could have been because I think when it came out, I think I took the kids to go and see that. It was like the first kind of non-Marvel, non-animated film. And they thought it was great, This the whole idea of it. And actually, Murder on the Orient Express is obviously a cracking story. This is not, you know, this... But then I thought... To prepare myself, I watched Death on the Nile yesterday morning, which I had not seen on Disney+. Plus. My goodness. And that is like two hours and 20 minutes of insane um, CGI backdrops and just <laughs> the most perfunctory um, sort of direction. And it, it just is, it, it's dreadful. Death on the Nile is dreadful. And it's, it's an hour, and I counted it. It was an hour, one hour, five minutes, four minutes and 37 seconds before the murder even happens. So there's a oh. lot of, there's a lot of faff in that film. And the only funny bits are, are Branagh, who, I'm Kenneth Branagh. I'm not. I. I also. I, early Dave Shakespeare. Love it. Recently, You're Team Branagh. I'm Team Thompson. I think that's where we differ. Well, recently, I, I. I. I think Tenet kind of wrecked. But the, he. He's having fun as Poirot, and I think he does it. I think in this. This is a deeply strange. It's shot in a strange way. You realise why that is. Sort of towards the end of the film as well. The angles are all over the shop. It's in this deep. I think they've put it in Venice so they could get these incredibly atmospheric, like. Like um, like Vicky said, glorious sort of you know crumbling palazzos, masks. You had they have this huge storm, so they're all shut in this crazed palazzo and they can't get out of it. But um, 
yeah, he's having a he he has a good time with this, and I think it's directed. This one, I think, is directed strangely, and I think it's quite. But I think it's really entertaining, and it's only an hour and forty minutes, which is what you want for a whodunit. I was, but I would disagree a bit with Vicky and say he could have given the cast a little bit more. To, I felt Michelle Yeoh was a bit wasted. Mm. I could have given her a bit more. But having said that, she, you're right in that the, the cast meld very well together, and in fact. The guy who plays his the, the ex policeman who I haven't seen anything, Ricardo Scamacio. I really enjoyed him. Mm. Just a little shout out for him, Henry. <laughs> young, young Henry. I'm going to take a punt and mm-hmm. guess that you did not watch the original BBC series Poirot, starring David Suchet. I'm afraid I did not. Excellent. That's good because you can come at this with less hatred for Branagh in the role than I would. <laughs> Because um, he, he's I iconic. Watched, I never watched any of this. David Suchet, Suchet is an iconic Poirot, compact, dark-haired man, pencil thin moustache. He ran for years and years. He's a beloved TV character. Another reason I can't get on with this new load of um, Agatha Christie's. What did you think of Branner in this role? Then also taking into account he's directing himself into this iconic role because he's maybe a narcissist <laughs> I mean you may be surprised Ash that Personal I am opinion. <laughs> I am kind of on your side here I am not a Branner fan um, well I I don't know I find myself kind of torn because when when he has these projects where he's kind of he's writing and he's directing and he's doing all of all of the stuff like you know Belfast or got like, a touch of the Taika Waititi yeah or like you know anyone remember Artemis Fowl he did that remember <laughs> there's there's just this part of me that yeah. sees those films and go oh, I, I hate you I do like but then, I don't know, I find him weirdly compelling as a screen presence recently. Like, I'm going to disagree with Emma. I kind of like him in Christopher Nolan's films, where he, like, shows up in Tenet doing a ridiculous Russian accent, or he's in Oppenheimer as the My Little Physicist's character. Like, <laughs> I find him strangely compelling. And I kind of feel that way about this film. Like, I look at it and I go, okay, well, this is wrong. That's ridiculous. This is, this is stupid. None of this makes any sense. I don't want to watch Kenneth Branagh's Requiem for a Dream. But then there's the other part of me that goes, I I kind of am glad that Kenneth Branagh's Requiem for a Dream exists. Like, I don't know. It it feels misguided and and poorly judged and just like every wrong decision was made. And yet I I can't believe I'm saying this. I was kind of rooting for it to succeed. You had a good time. I I don't I don't know. <laughs> I think it's probably the best of the three, right? I really I think... do believe it's the best of the three. And they have adapted this for a new audience. You know, you have a lot more. I feel like um, some of the people we were sat with weren't prepared for what they were delivering right. on the scare factor last night. We definitely got some unexpected jumps in there that just wasn't present. And, you know, it, it truly was like a murder mystery. There is murders coming out from many corners of this film. And at the same time, you know, you've got some insane camera angles, which I quite honestly have not seen. <laughs> In um, apart from you know an early two thousand sci fi film in quite some time, they they put almost like a Project X like this is a kind of um, a party where everyone's intoxicated, everyone's having this kind of yeah. mindful dream angle on Kenneth Branagh as Perot and I went with it and it's I like they really him enjoyed a it lens yeah. and, like, and he's like he'd never seen one before he was like marvellous <laughs> he'd, he'd watched the favourite and went yeah yes, let's do that I, yeah I kept thinking of that but it makes it, it and, and obviously you know we, we laugh about it but obviously he's got both Jude Hill and Jamie Dornan yeah. back from Belfast so obviously they like working Jamie Dornan is cast against type and I really I enjoyed his role a lot and actually Jude Hill yeah. as a sort of preternaturally 
potentially spooky child. Petite you know, Poirot. Exactly. There, there could be a spin-off with Jude Hill. It could oh, be something Kenneth Branagh really has in the works. <laughs> Would not surprise me. Oh, um, they've shoehorned in, or it sounds like they haven't shoehorned him in. They've brought on a, a very new writer to do a cinematic take on Agatha Christie's original story. So Michael Green wrote on the new... Um, Blade Runner and like Green Lantern so they're kind of a sci-fi action-y screenwriter but it sounds like it really works then but not for people who are in there expecting a, a gentle Agatha Christie ride. I think it does this is set in 1947 but the dialogue does sound crisper and more modern than that they do give um, Tina Fey some you know as you would exactly expect Zingies, Tina yeah. Fey's P playing you know a sassy New York mm. um, American mystery novel writer like she normally you know like she does but they give her some really good lines and, and like I say Kenneth Branagh delivers his Poirot lines very very he has a good time the dry humour works in this other times it has definitely fell flat I have not got the gags but I genuinely had an out loud laughter across and, and the audience did really? too when no one was yeah. ashamed of it they, the wit is there in this film and Yes. <laughs> yeah. And is it? It's a twelve A though, and you were all scared by it. How did they get away with that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I was exactly scared, but I did jump scare a couple of times. It's creepy. Okay. I, I mean, they get away with it. With I'm trying to think of other sort of slightly. But scary how did they manage it? I mean, well, I mean, like I think kind of with with the murder mystery, horror is always like a slightly adjacent bedfellow. Like you think about, and then there were none. Right. That's yeah. basically a slasher film, and so. I think there's a kind of expectation that even if you're not expecting actual horror with a murder mystery, that there is going to be that sinister element. Yeah. And the kind of... Mild peril. Exactly. It's the kind of thing where, like, everything's implied in a way that kind of lets you fill in the gaps that Kenneth Branagh hasn't filled in. Which um, is how they did it in the original books, so they wouldn't be banned. Well, I'm thinking, like, 1800s, really. Yeah. So it's it's the terror, not the horror, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or the other way around. I did really well at GCSE English. And I think when he explains it, when when Poirot explains who's done it and why he's come to this conclusion, if you look back, they do do that. You know, they have actually they have fed you the bits that you would need to come to the same conclusion. Oh, okay. If I you like were, those. of course, the most brainy detective in the entire world, like hmm. Poirot's, it's it, it was a lot of fun. I'm gonna have to go and see it. And this, I can't tell you how much this upsets me, but I'm I'm growing. I'm changing. I'm getting rid of my um, what are those things called? Like hold grudges, like grudges mm. against. Chip on your shoulder. People. Yeah, I hate it. Well, that sounds like a rip-roaring ride, a haunting in Venice. Go and see that, rather than my big fat Greek wedding then, maybe, if that's the kind of cinema experience you're looking for, something fun that you can go and see with lots of people. They are our big cinema releases for the week. We're moving into kookier territory now after this. Cambridge 105 Radio. Every Saturday night on Cambridge 105 Radio, Chris Brown presents Cambridge's original Saturday Night Soul Show. It's a fantastic thing. I'm Cambridge bred and born, and so I present my show and play my soul and dance music in Cambridge. People that listen to my show, then they'll go out to one of my gigs, and when I get there, people will say, oh, that track you played on your show, can you play it tonight? It's like a gang, if you like, that I've got on a Saturday night of soul fans. Chris Brown's soul and dance show, Saturdays at 6 on Cambridge 105 Radio. You're an experienced childcare worker. Or someone who has a passion for working with young people. Progress or develop your career. With Hertfordshire County Council Children's Services. Be part of a supportive team. With great progression opportunities. And competitive pay. It's about being the best we can be. For children and young people. Join Hertfordshire, the county of opportunity. Now hiring care workers and senior care workers. Text 60777 to get started. 
So, it wasn't the hottest of summers. You probably didn't water the lawn or fill up the paddling pool as much as last year. But here at Cambridge Water, we still need to say a big thank you. In July and August, we asked you to can for the can. Ditch your hose for a watering can, keeping millions of litres in local streams. And you did it. Despite the soggy summer, Cambridgeshire residents still use hundreds of thousands of litres less every day. It's an amazing result. Now, with hot, sunny weather forecast for September, we're asking you to can for the can this month too. A hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour. Water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply local chalk streams, including the cam. Can for the cam, and you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, we'll carry on doing ours, finding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. Can for the cam, ditch the hose this September. Welcome back. You are listening to the Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. I am Ashley and I have a team of reviewers Emma, Henry and Vicky with me today. You've missed the big blockbusters um, that came out over the last couple of weeks. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, Past Lives and A Haunting in Venice. And we're going to take you down a kookier and scarier road, actually, starting with El Conde. I don't want to live 250 years. Why? Because they were killed by a drug. A un soldado se le puede decir que es un asesino, pero no que es un ladrón. Pero robaste, ¿o no? Yo vine para acá porque dijeron que iban a repartir plata. Eso te lo dije yo para convencerte, imbécil. So, again, with the Not in the English Language trailers, which really don't translate well onto Radio Forest, so it's all down to you, Henry. Tell us what El Conde is about. Um, so, it's about uh, former Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, uh, real-life person uh, who Pablo Lorraine has imagined as an immortal vampire uh, in, you know, what you might call an unexpected take on uh, on history. On history, yeah. Yeah. Um, Slightly revisionist. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and it it's kind of following him around as he's basically, like, given up on life and is just kind of waiting to die. And all his kids, like, gathered around and they're kind of, like, checking their watches and they're like, come on, when's he going to die? He's got, like, money hidden here. And then... It, there's there's a, a a nun who shows up and who is trying to like protect him and then there's like a, a a butler he has who's like Russian who who loves him but then also he seems to pick up a lust for like it kind of becomes when you're describing the plot it becomes a bit of that where you go well okay so there's this bit and there's this bit and, and there's this bit it's very conceptually kind of brave and all over the place um, and I think that that is a lot of the film like. I, I was reading a lot of reviews for it afterwards and it really does seem to have kind of divided people where people have either kind of gone, well, yeah, it's just, it's one one concept played out for like an hour and a half, whatever. And then other people who have really like leaned into it and just kind of enjoyed like the silliness of it because even though this is, you know, a film about a real life dictator genuinely responsible for the murders of thousands of people who has become a murderous vampire... It is funny. It is silly. It kind of has a bit of a laugh with itself. So um, they're trying to take away the supposed power of a bad person in death, and let's remember him with his pants down. Yeah, exactly. Remember him as like a, a sad vampire in a winter coat. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I just kind of, I found it so much fun and so, so daring. There is, I really don't want to give this away too much, 
There's a moment in the film where the narrator is folded into the narrative. And there was, and I, I've been listening to the narrator, and the narrator is speaking in English, which is strange because this is all like Spanish language, a bit of French in there as well. Be like, that's interesting. The narrator's English and like very clear English accent. And she used a phrase, and I went, oh, that's funny. That sounds a bit like. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the narrator gets folded into the narrative, and like I, I'd like drop my water bottle. I went, what? <laughs> And I was just kind of completely on board for the rest of the film. I went, you know what? Go wherever. <laughs> and let me tell you, Pablo Lorraine did. <laughs> Vicky, this was not your choice. It's, it we're sitting at choice. nearly a two-hour film for Rated R, which is, I guess, 15 for us yeah. on Netflix, about a, a Chilean dictator that you maybe don't know much about. Is it enjoyable still, or is it just a bit hard to get on with? So I definitely think Pablo Lorraine made Spencer just so he could have the funding for this. <laughs> um, quite honestly, the way I started this film is how you've just described. I, you know, it, it actually at the beginning I forgot I had the dubbing on, so it was in English <laughs> for a good twenty minutes, and then it got to a point in the plot where I was like, actually, I want to be watching this as I was just, you know walking about my kitchen doing my odd bits and I was like and then I was like, I really want to fully get on board with this and then I sat down and I put on the correct version um, the original language version and I enjoyed every moment that I didn't know what was happening I honestly this is one of the most uh, wildest plot driven films but with incredible extensive dialogue which made me howl the, the, the five children in this that want their father gone they're the grown-up children. The grown-up children. The whole honesty and the greed and that comes out of their mouths when they are trying to, you know, get the accountant who is the nun. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole plot <laughs> um, that comes out. They're just so such awful people that you just want to listen to the awful things that they are doing. They're just as bad as their father. There's no um, kind of emotional attachment you have to these people, but they are funny and the it's gory and whatever happens on screen, you're just on board with and. and at the end, you know, um, I don't want to spoil. Henry's not going to reveal, and I think it's probably the best plot point in this film. So I, I won't either. But uh, there is a scene at the end where he is leaving his children, and they're like, "Father, where are you? Where are you off to?" And he's like, "Oh, what a way!" Like as in, like they are just nothing to me. Like they are just no energy. He's lived for two hundred years. These five children he's are all that he has, and he just does not care for them. And it's quite. It's just such a interesting dynamic that's unfolded that I couldn't quite believe my eyes and I'd sat there for two hours I don't think I'll remember much more of this uh, going forward but I did have a good time and it is honestly quite an insane film so again a bit like with past lives we're trying to encourage people to go and see it because it might look from the outside a bit less accessible than what your average cinema goer wants to mm. have a look at this is on Netflix so everyone over the age of 15 obviously are they going to have a good time with this or do you need to work a little bit harder it's probably the least accessible film i've ever watched on netflix <laughs> <laughs> um and, but it, it made me sit down it made me you know pay attention and i gotta give it credit for that and the performance uh of paula lushinger um who plays the nun the accountant and the lover in mm -hmm. this is quite honestly one of the best ones i've maybe seen of the year she's the one that commanded my attention she's okay. an ethereal pixie-like beauty that quite literally float dances on screen and I was just captivated by her. She made me love her. So apart from the awful people around it, she, she had a great time with her. Excellent. Well, it's so it's the characters then that draw you in and everyone should definitely give this a go, even though it 
takes a little getting into maybe for a Netflix film. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Netflix have this thing where they kind of end up dumping like really interesting like auteur based films in like September so yeah. that everyone's kind of forgotten about them by the time like award season rolls around. Right. They did it with like um, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things and this mm-hmm. was like a similar thing where like it played a festival, half of the festival loved it, half rejected it. Netflix so bought it. Netflix went, ah, blank check, enjoy and they've kind of like a dropping it here where yeah. it will like sit on Netflix until it becomes a tax write-off. I don't know. I, I like. I don't think it it fully works in every way, but it is so original that I think everyone should like just at least try it. I'm going to give every single film so far this week a go, mainly because you hated my big fat green wedding three. <laughs> so I'm going to hate watch that for you. But El Conde sounds excellent. Certificate fifteen. A weird and wild ride. Sitting there waiting for you on Netflix. Um, we're going to take a little cutesy turn now with a Prime original um, that I did give it a go last night, but I gave it seven minutes of a go. This is <laughs> Sitting in Bars with Cake. Yeah. To Jane, all-star baker, my best friend since second grade, hero of the night. Would you make it? Jane! Cut the cake! I love this cake. I love this girl. Yeah. Shocked to more men tonight than she has in the past 23 years combined. Taking all the leaves off the money tree so Emma was surprised that I wasn't into sitting in bars with cake. I normally like a rubbishy kind of rom-com. This is female-led. Um, I like unhealthy food. I love bars. Um, I hated this, Emma. I couldn't... Got, what stuck you... Only with? seven... But you, you say only seven minutes. I find that... Um, anyway, look... What's I, the uh, name showed up and I just thought, oh, I can't what's with Bette Midler. Why you can't crowbar Bette Midler? And so well, I'd like, I, I, the... yeah, I think there is a reason behind them crowbar, crowbar and Bette Midler, which is, which is bizarre. But anyway, this is a uh, Amazon original. Like I said, I was hoping... Well, no, I wasn't really hoping. I'm not passionate about this, but we, we always talk about stuff to do on the show and it's important to do a balance of streamers and releases. And a, I think it's important to give a mix of um, genres as well. Mm-hmm. And Amazon Prime, sometimes you can get a cheeky little gem, I think, on Prime Originals because sometimes it can be... Netflix, obviously, is the behemoth in this in, in, and that's where people first I go to to look for it. But sometimes you can get some little hidden gems in Prime. So this is based on a memoir that was written by Audrey Shulman and it is the true story of herself, Jane, so in this she is played by Yara Shahidi, who's best known for Blackish and Youngish, who I am. I, I, I like I, I like Yara Shahidi's um, screen presence a lot. And it's her and her best friend. They're living together in L.A. Um, her best friend is played by Odessa Azion, who I think is just known for Hellraiser. I didn't. I, I liked her as well. She has. A, she, had a, she had a really sparky presence. In fact, I think I like this film the most because of the chemistry between the two of them. Jane is a little shy, so um, her friend Corinne convinces her that in order to meet boys, they should make. She's a great baker. They make cakes and they should take them to bars because what other way is there to meet, meet men other than apparently take cakes to bars? I'm, I'm unconvinced by that, but that is a true part yeah, of it. That's right. However, me, after only sort of maybe after about. 50 15 of these, they, they, they make a list, list of 50 bars, they put the lid, they put list up the LA map, they're going to do it. Um, Corinne is diagnosed with a brain tumour and then the film takes a turn. This is why I honestly think they've crowbar part that middle in it. Don't tell me you think this is as good as Beaches. I'm not saying it's as good as Beaches, but it is, be- it, it, it's <laughs> like a, it's like a 2023 Beaches. It is the story of, you know, a friendship because then Corinne's parents played by Ron Livingston, who I always Adorable. know best from Swingers and maybe a little bit of Sex and City 
dump carry by post-it. And Martha Kelly, I didn't know at all. They come, they want to take her back to Arizona, but the two girls persuade them that they'll be better off staying in L.A. And then it's all about continuing, you know, continuing this odyssey to take the cakes to the bars to help Corinne, even as her health declines. And it is a sweet story of female friendship. And yeah, it's a... and. Combined with like an old fashioned, it's an old fashioned cancer weepy. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. That sounds like a terrible way. That's very dismissive of me. But it, effectively, that is what it is. You, you know, things are not going to go particularly well. Accessibly affecting. Yeah, and also I think, and, and like I said, mostly because of the chemistry between these two really quite dynamic young leads, and I like I like both of them very much. And um, it's not bogged down with any sort of extra romance or anything like that. It just focuses on them, lets them breathe, and some really good-looking cakes. It would pass that test, perhaps. Yes, it would. That one about women talking to other yeah, women. Yeah, I can't remember what the name is of it. Talking Begdell. about a man. Begdell. Begdell. Got it. It would, okay. unless unless you, unless it, unless it's, it's women mostly talking about illness and cake, but definitely not other men. <laughs> you got to take it. Can get it right. Um, it, it's free if you have Prime, which if you don't, then who even are you? If you don't have Amazon Prime to get your stuff delivered to you on a daily basis like me, and I think it, house. I think it was it was okay. Cute. Well, sitting in bars with cake, twelve a sitting there ready for you on Prime. Welcome to spooky season when this insufferable sunshine finally goes away. This is the Nun Two. There's something wrong with the school. Something doesn't feel right. Sophie, what happened? I think there's something here. That's not meant to be. So, Vicky, I love a horror. You adore a horror. Spooky season is upon us. I've watched a lot of scary things. I'm pretty difficult to scare, but the original nun totally got me. I can't stand that character. We're I back see. for the nun too. Ta- um, how do I say her name? Tessa Farmiga. Farmiger. Farmiger. Is that the daughter or like the sister? So, the sister. So uh, ah. uh, t- Tessa or Tessa, uh, she is the sister of mm-hmm. um, the original Conjuring Queen, yeah. um, Vera Farmiger. Um, so she got cast in as well, I believe, because of the likeness of the original Conjuring trilogy. Ah. Uh, so what happens in The Nun 2? Where are we? So we're back. Uh, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we're not in Romania this time. I believe we're in um, Italy. I, no, we're in France. Sorry about that. It, there's not. It's not too focused on which country because the right. thing is, is that uh, the nun uh, did possess the body of uh, Frenchie in the last film, Oopsie. and Frenchie's been taken a little tour of Europe, and he in what really is almost national treasure like hunt <laughs> for um, for a pair of eyes. From, Are you talking Nicolas Cage? I'm talking Nicolas Cage. Oh, no. Like this is like a kind of you know she's the nun is after something and she is after a pair of eyes from a saint and uh, we are taking it's on the journey until we land risky. in a boarding home with many vulnerable children at risk and that mm-hmm. is where uh, Taya uh, Safarmanger's character comes back in as Sister Irene to come and defeat uh, the evil. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Conjuring. Uh, Conjuring films, you know, mm. the nun first appeared in the Conjuring two um, as well, and um, I really, honestly, it's a solid little multiverse of it's, it's films. a it's a solid little multiverse. However, I was not a fan of the first nun. It really, um, 
it dispelled me. Um, she's a great, she has a great dramatic scream, you know, um, but I quite literally have forgotten a lot of the plot. Um, and apart from the fact I knew Maurice uh, was still, you know, he's the plot lead um, that comes off from the nun, leads all the way to the country, and they made that in a video montage very clear towards the end of the films. However, the nun too was great. I had a great time with this. I went, you know, along with along to the view with my ice blast in hand, and I quite literally crushed my own cup from um, the jump scares I've experienced through this. You know, the, uh, that's all you need in these films. That's really, all you we're, need. we're not looking for layers and layers of murder no. mystery. And you know, a great accompaniment, which I think the the original film didn't have, is uh, Storm Reed in this film. You know, she comes along as uh, Sister Deborah, um, who is someone that is questioning her faith, along with you know. Uh, Sister Irene, who is being basically being used by the Vatican, is like, well, you're the only one that's faced this kind of demon before, so we're going to put you in harm's way to defeat it again. And she doesn't really have a choice, but you know, she has a there's Sister Deborah to back her up. Um, it's a great, almost like a good girl team going to fight this demon. I quite had a good time with that. And you know, Maurice is uh, who is controlled by the nun. He's very convincing. You know, he does lose his life in this film and. All the counterparts add up. The plot is very good. And apart from the fact that it is almost a treasure hunt in in, in its true bones, I, I loved it. It generally made me scared. And okay. I, I, I got what I wanted out of it. Excellent. Another one I'm definitely going to watch because you do that excellent thing where you watch a certain number of scary films between now and Halloween, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do that for October, <laughs> but I, I should lean in and start in September, really put my back into it. So I will start with a nun too, I reckon, a nice gateway into the Halloween-y content that we love. Oh, have you seen it as well, yeah, Henry? Yeah, no, I, I oh, saw sorry, it. sorry, my love. <laughs> it's a certificate 15. We rarely get 18s, do we? But how far are they pushing it with the 15 to scare you with this? Is it horrifying. I mean, it's... So, I have less experience with the Conjuring franchise than Vicky. I've seen the first two Conjuring films. I haven't seen any of the spin-offs or, or the third one where the devil made them do it. Um, I've only... So, I, I hadn't seen the first none. I will say, unlike... Sinister. I know. Is it Sinister? That was good. That's, That's unrelated, the, I think. Oh, yeah. it's unrelated. Also yeah. scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, unlike my big fat Greek wedding three, this one does a good job of going, oh, hey, you missed the first one? Here's, here's all the stuff that happened in the first one. Okay. So, you know, that's one to Tick. the none two, zero to big fat Greek wedding three. Um, and like, I don't know, I was not expecting a lot, but there's some like genuinely like creepy set pieces. There's like one kind of early, like the first scene of the film where there's a child playing with a football that's great. Um, there's an amazing one with like this magazine stand where like I had to look away from the screen because I was getting so scared. I'm like, thrilled. But then I think the rest of the film's kind of ridiculous. Like shortly after that scene was like the boy playing with the football, um, a priest just gets set on fire. Um, and then these things happen. Yeah, and then like Vicky's saying, it becomes national treasure for a pair of saintly eyes. Oh, and it's an hour and fifty minutes. It's an hour and fifty. Um, it kind of flies by. I okay. think the really issue I have flies by, yeah. is that like. Yeah, different to you, Ash. I just find the design of the nun, like, silly. I oh, don't no. think it's, like, a scary character design. So when it's, like, some form in the shadows, great, fantastic. When it's, like, you know, a woman with bad teeth and red eyes, I'm like, ah, I must be whatever. repressing something. I can't look at her. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's It surprised me. I was expecting it to be rubbish, and it was only a little 
little bit naff. I feel yeah. like religious horror has really come out to play this year. Yeah. This, if you pair this with the Pope's exorcist, you have one hell of a double bill on your hands. I really do. Do the Pope's exorcist. It's funny. Yeah. It's going to be like The Martian that got entered as a comedy for the Oscars just to give it a fighting chance. That is a comedy, The Pope's exorcist. I really think, I think the Nun 2s came out in the right year. The trend was there. The, the hilarity of what was happening on screen is there. And I, I definitely think this is a solid cinema watch for a Friday night if you need Excellent. a good scare. I'm going to do it. That's the Nun 2 Certificate 15 um, in the actual cinemas, is it? Yeah. Nice one. We're going to finish today with a lovely little look at what we, we we think he's trying to do a Bob Ross here, but let's listen and then Emma can explain what's going wrong. <laughs> Goal's pretty simple. I want to help you get what's in here and just splash it onto there. Don't worry, it's not rocket science. It's harder. Thanks for going to a special place with me, Carl Narkel. Cut it. That tree is probably too tall. Brace yourself, you are going to get some calls about that. On the surface of paint, which I think is a Netflix affair, an Amazon Amazon Prime affair, it looks like Owen Wilson is doing a Bob Ross. Is there more to it, Emma? What is this actually about? This is a very strange film, I must admit. I stumbled upon it. I am a big Owen Wilson fan and I've missed his his lack of, you know, obviously he's had had personal issues, I would say, which means he hasn't been on our screens as much as as he he was, you know, in that sort of prevalent time in the the mid-noughties. I'm a big fan. So when I saw this was ready to rent on Amazon for $1.99, I thought, why not? It is. He is basically, yes, he is running a PBS paint paint show Carl Nagel um he although it is set in the present day he seems to live in this sort of 1970s time capsule where he refuses to use um a mobile phone he um he lives in a van he lives in a barn he has kind of a 70s van he wears all denim and then his place is taken by a younger hipper female painter called Ambrosia but I couldn't quite work out if it was a pastiche or a loving homage because basically the story is also how he has sort of, you know, he's treated all these women so terribly throughout his life and now he's losing everything he loves, including, you know, the one true love of his life that he's now realising who this is, who is um, the sort of producer of the show. It is... It's a very tight hour and a half. It's got a great cast because you haven't just got... You've also got Stephen Root, who's really good in this. You've got um, Wendy from Vino 99, Wendy McKendon Covey and... um, Yeah, Ambrosia is played by... Carry on. Sorry. Thank you I'm scrolling. So good. Michaela Michaela Watkins, I can't remember it. It's Chiara Renee plays Ambrosia. It's a strange, strange film, but I was there for the 70s soundtrack and for this sort of Owen Wilson doing what's that thing that the kids like when you listen to people? ASMR. ASMR. Yeah, there you go. Just just doing Bob Ross ASMR, ASMR sort of impersonation with a crazy fright wig on. Final couple minutes, Henry. Mm -hmm. Is this greater than the sum of the parts of Owen Wilson doing a Bob Ross to beloved? silver screen people it really uh, for me is not uh, mm. like I I remember like when the kind of the first image of it came out like on Twitter and it was like first look at Owen Wilson in pain and I went oh wow Owen Wilson looks like Bob Ross and that for me was like the only level that the film worked on okay like Emma says it kind of becomes weirdly aimless and it's just then 
it's less about like, well, it's about the life of this Bob Ross-esque figure and more just like, so it's about a lot of people like cheating on each other. And it's also, I think, trying to say something about art, right? Because there's this whole plot. Well, I think so about the fact that, you know, I mean, yeah, there's this whole plot point that, you know, I mean, it's not going to spoil it for anybody, but yeah, the fact that they think he's died at the end and then suddenly all these terrible pictures he does of Mount Mansfield, because that's it, every painting he ever does just turns into Mount Mount Mansfield, which is this, you know, sort of local Vermont mountain. And it, it... it, it's re- it does I, it doesn't have a tone. It does not have a consistent tone. I don't know the director Britt McAdams. They've only done little done. bits of TV. From what I can see, this is their first feature length. So, but they, I had a good time. They had a good try. I yeah, I guess I don't know. <laughs> is it worth one ninety nine, Henry? I I don't oh. know. It's an hour and a half. <laughs> like. Uh... I don't know. It's one of those ones that popped up on the streaming service and you're really interested, maybe. It's got a nice soundtrack. Annie's song's in there. That's a lovely song. That always makes anything a bit better. All right. Uh, yeah. Just a mer, a mer note to finish on. <laughs> but I will play one of those lovely tunes for you as I say goodbye to you. This is Romeo's tune. Emma picks this. If it's awful, blame her. But the saving grace <laughs> of paint with Owen Wilson was the soundtrack by the sounds of it. We had tons of films today. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Past Lives, A Haunting in Venice, El Conde, Sitting in Bars with Cake, The Nun 2, and Paint. Thanks to my excellent reviewers, Emma. Thank you. Henry. Thank you. And Vicky. Bye. We'll see you all in a couple weeks' time. Thanks, guys. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio.